cliffcentral.com. Martha Ngoye is an attorney of the High Court of South Africa and has practiced as a corporate lawyer and worked for some of South Africa's most prestigious firms. She also answered the call of the corporate giants and went to work for Standard Bank and Barclays, among others. This was in a tumultuous period when the big white law firms weren't ready for women and especially black women. Martha then headed the, or he did rather, the patriotic call, which is something a lot of people are nervous to do these days. And she decided she'd go and build and strengthen the civil service. So she joined Transnet, which is South Africa's government-owned freight rail and shipping infrastructure company. She later joined Prasa, the passenger rail agency of South Africa, where she continues to fight a ceaseless wave of corruption. This brave stance has led to much suffering and victimization, which she is still fighting to this day. In fact, she's with us here today at our studio with her lawyer. It's very nice to see you here too. Jeffrey, thank you for coming in. Thank you. And Martha, thank you because, and I don't mean just thank you for coming in here. Thank you for being brave enough to do what so many people wish they could do. And the ones who do often find themselves victimized, treated very badly, bullied, very often worse than that. Whistleblowers, um, we, they talk a big game in South Africa. They yeah. say, oh, we, you know, whistleblowers are the people we need in society to expose corruption. But we don't do very much in this country to protect whistleblowers. That's right. In fact, the people who they often blow the whistle on will go to ever more nefarious ends to get rid of those people. Yeah. So thank you for coming and thank That's you for being, for being brave enough to speak thank out. Thank you. Yeah. So, Martha, let's just start with you and your story. I mean, I touched on your, your history in corporate South Africa, your history in the civil service. But what's your, what's your background? Where were you born? What's your story? I was born in, in Dipcliff, Soweto, in fact, Baragwanath Hospital. Sure. Uh, at the time when it was still called that, um, 1969, December. Um, and I've lived in Soweto basically till I went to varsity. So I grew up there in Dipcliff. And our area is called Ghost Town because, yes, there was belief that there was a ghost doing the rounds at night. But anyway, uh-huh. that's what it's called. Um, and I, yeah, I, I went to school, um, you know, in, in, in Dipcliff and um, matriculated in 87. And, um, and then went to varsity. You know, my parents couldn't afford. So I went to UNISA. Uh, the first year, 88. And then 89, I managed to get a bursary with my dad's work, Siemens. And I was able to do my BPROC at the University of the Western Cape. Four years stint done. I came back. I couldn't take the Cape Town uh, environment. I came back to Vets, did my NLB two years. Uh, I was funded by NEFSAS, by, by TEFSA at the time. Right. So after that, fortunately, I got articles with Edward Nathan and Friedland at the time, it was called, yeah. So I did my articles with them and then I, you know, became an associate there. And um, then I decided, let me try corporate. So that's when I went to Standard Bank. I did five years stint at Standard Bank and when Barclays came back, you know. So what years were the the Standard Bank? The Standard Bank was, um, so 98 Wow. So, I mean, South Africa, when, when I mentioned yeah. that, you know, the corporate hierarchy there was still very much what it had been for like 60, 70 yeah. years beforehand. Yeah. So coming in, yeah. it must have been a bit of a culture shock for them and for you. Yeah. Look, it was. And I suppose, <laughs> you know, you come in, it's this big 
bank open floor plan and and you just sit there and you basically do your work. But I suppose what I liked at Standard Bank is that they recognized potential, you know, and I was given the opportunities to really grow. Uh, and when I, I, I finished five years at Standard Bank, it was around 2003 when Barclays came in. I joined Barclays because I wanted to go more into the treasury space. Mm. And they offered me that, that potential. So I was bar- at Barclays for about three was years. That, was that because you already had an eye to going into something in the public service? No, not even, not even at that time. Okay. You know, I thought this is my niche. It's a great this is job. Where I'm going yeah. to be staying and so on. So when Barclays did the assistant, in fact, I was part and parcel of the people that did that particular transaction. Culture wise, I, I just thought I don't fit at, at, uh, APSA. And then, you know, I thought about it and I thought, okay, maybe I should go and do the, uh, you know, civil duty type thing. And I just get position came up at Translate 2006. I was given that position. That was when uh, Maria Ramos was there. That's right. Okay. So a very different environment. Yeah. And, and Transnet, I mean, under her aegis, she seems to have run a pretty tight ship. She was. And she was obviously looking for talent. That's it. And did they approach you or did you approach them? Um, there was, they didn't approach me. There was an opening. Oh, which okay. Which I picked up and then I applied and I got it. Okay. Yeah. And for, I think, a year or two, I ran the legal department alone. Oof, for the whole of Transnet. Uh, group. That must have been for group, yeah. 24-7, 365. Which is crazy. No holidays, no weekends. Yeah, which is crazy. Um, because I know how lawyers in firms work and you bill by the hour. Yeah. So. You need to be available. Some people have you on retainers. Yeah. They think they can call you while you're having dinner with your family, <laughs> while you're supposedly away. <laughs> I mean, that's what happens, yeah. right? I mean, you're gesturing yeah. to, to Jeffrey, to but Jeff. this is the life of a lawyer. And especially yeah. if you want to be competitive that's it, yeah. and you want to be at the top of your game and you want to build big hours and you sure. want to be taken seriously, you have to you put, put in the, the work. Hours. Yeah, you put so, in the hours. So there's there's no release from that. No. And, and you ran it all on your own. At Tran- I did. Transnet – Again, there must have been so many matters you had to deal with on a daily basis. And that was the time when it was restructuring, Oof. selling off its non-core assets. So, you know, and if I, you put a foot wrong when you're in a government department, there's even more scrutiny than there would be in many private businesses because you're dealing with public money. Yes. And the reason we've got so much red tape these days is because – there's so much corruption and yeah. people don't want to see as much of it, which yeah. means that you have to jump through eight hoops yeah. instead of just two. Yeah. So you're right. I mean, it was, it was hectic and the type of transactions that we were doing. I mean, you know, Transnet, the type of business it's running. We Seven, depended, eight, nine figures. Yeah. So it was, it was crazy. During Maria's period, we did a lot of transactions. So one was extremely busy. But also at Transnet, what I figured is that I needed to grow you know, and, and operate at an executive level because I, that's where I was operating, mm. you know, in any event, but not necessarily given the recognition of, you know, operating at that level. So when an opportunity came at Prasa, in fact, it was at Intersight in 2011, 2010, 2011, I thought, okay, this gives me an opportunity to operate at an executive level. That's where I want to be. And I took it. So, and who was in charge of Prasa then? Lucky Montana was in charge of Prasa. Okay, so I, the, re- the reason I ask is because the only reason that 
any of us in South Africa know the names of Maria Ramos and of Ducky Montana is because these people have been in the news. Yeah. Right. I mean, sometimes for good reasons yeah. in the case of the latter, sometimes yeah. bad reasons in the case of the former. Yeah. And it's normally not the kind of job that would garner a huge amount of public attention. Exactly. Most people in South Africa, if things are running fine, don't they care who's in charge of Prasa. Yeah. And in the case of Transnet, which was running very well at the time, we only knew it was Maria Ramos because she had started developing a profile. Yes. And we'd known her from various government circles before. That's right, yeah. And she had been touted for other positions yes. as well. So she was prominent. In Lucky Montana's case, he was making news for the wrong reasons. That's right, yeah. So when I arrived, I was a group executive in the office of the CEO at Interside, which is a wholly owned subsidiary of Prasa. Mm-hmm. Uh, within eight months, the job of the CEO of Intersight came up. I applied and I got it. Uh, so around about September, then I was the CEO. And what do they do inside of process? So, so, so we were a, an asset investment. Okay. Yeah. Niche. There was just like 23 of us. So highly skilled. Uh, we were like the think what tank. What were you buying? Think tank. So we were basically trying to invest in, in properties, leverage. You know, what Prasa has, as far as properties are concerned, we had development leases that were out there that we were not benefiting from, you know, so we were And actual to, infrastructure, yeah, like, was, like stations yeah, and trains yeah. and railway. and. So what we were doing is putting, um, uh, you know, plans together, ideas together to say Prasa can get that money, right? And, and not rely so heavily on the, on the, on the, on the state because Prasa is subsidized. So effectively, we wanted to use our property portfolio, you know, mm. to, to, to basically make To leverage money. it. Yeah. And Martha, as I understand it, both at Transnet and at Prasa, South Africa had a pretty good yeah. rail infrastructure. Of course we did. For, that's why now you see so many trucks on the road because we, we've abused and allowed that to, to happen, r- yeah. run into rack and ruin. Yeah. Even though we're a big country – and a lot of other big countries, with the exception of Russia and China and places like that, which have to cover vast distances. Uh, America, too, they have a good rail infrastructure, but nowhere near. No. At the level of concentration we had, there were stations in every little dorpy yeah. in South Africa for passengers. Yes. And for freight. the purposes of freight, I yeah. mean, our ports yeah. were connected to all the major centers. And for industry, this is essential in any country that wants to take part in a meaningful way yeah. in a developing economy. Yeah. And to be in charge of the legal aspects of all of that and as the CEO of this, this intercept, uh, intersight, yeah. inter- intersight, um, company that you were, there's an enormous amount of work that goes on behind the scenes. Yeah. A lot. Um, and, and geez, we, 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 I mean, as I said, we were the think tank. So you can imagine we had corporate financiers in there, you know, because we had to come up with these strategies. And, and what was difficult, in fact, you know, was that sometimes the language that we spoke was not understood internally because, you know, you're speaking really highly corporatized language yeah. and, and stuff like that, you know, and equities and, you know, uh, um, governance. That's it. Um, so compliance, all these <laughs> words that, I mean, now these words are kind of dirigeur, you know, yeah, everybody know. uses them, but. At that point also, there was a lot of kind of naivety from the public yeah. and even I'd say from the government about what these things meant. Of course, yeah, you had to be familiar with of it. Of course. I mean, and, and also, 
you know, being a creature of statute, prasa is a creature of statute, and therefore there's a statute that says this is how things must be done. And we know the PFMA is what it is, and it's quite tight. So we knew we had to comply with the PFMA. So when I got to Prasa, in fact, one of the things that I said to, I remember in one strategy session, because because I was I was listening to what is happening, and and as far as the PFMA compliance was concerned, it was like no, it's very relaxed. And and I said to to Lucky in one of the just meetings, for people who don't know, that's the private uh, the public passenger, man, p- p- sorry the, the oh, PFMA is the uh, public finance, public finance management, management Act. Act, right? Right. So I said to Lucky, I said, you know, when I was at Transnet, um, the PF we feared not ha- complying with the PFMA, you know, um, and. Um, Fear of God. In fact, Chris Wells put the fear of God in us mm. for non-compliance with the with the PFMA. And Lucky's response to be to me was that we don't fear God. Yeah. So, Boom. That yeah. must have put that must have put extra pressure on you. I though, mean, I because you're like okay, I'm dealing with a different fine. animal here. Yeah, you know. And so, you know, I had a three year stint at Intersight, and because of my legal background, you know, um, they needed assistance. The group. Prasa now needed assistance as far as the legal portfolio was concerned. So it, there was a restructuring done. So for me, it was a lateral move mm. across to Prasa to go and now work on the legal department, build it up, put in policies in place and so on. And so in 2020, 2014, I moved from Intersight being the CEO and we were the most profitable at the time I was there. We received compliance certificates. We received awards even from from the AG, you know, for clean audits. And the Auditor General yeah. has had an impeccable record sure. in this respect. So we can take that very seriously. Yeah. So when I went to Prasa in 2014 um, to head up this function, it was then broadened because the previous incumbent had uh, group legal uh, and compliance so I then was given legal risk and compliance to look after, which is huge. But anyway, you come in and you've got to do what you have to do. And within two months, in fact, in, in, in November, December of that year, 2014, Lucky went on leave. He took a two-month uh, break. He then asked me to act as, as the group CEO. Group CEO. Yes, sir. And then you saw what was going on. I did, yes. And I saw what was going on. So, Martha, just for the, and the reason we're going into some detail here is because I understand that, you know, there are ongoing processes. There's some stuff that you might not be able to share with us because it's still privileged and, you know, it could jeopardize your case. And that's why also we have Jeffrey here. But I think for a lot of people, we read headlines and we pay a little bit of, respect and interest to these things. But mm. we all complain about corruption. Mm. You know, we're full-throated about our problems with the system, mm. but very few people are actually prepared to hear the story yeah. and to get into the reads. Yes. And when they do, sometimes they go, oh, my God, it's way worse than I thought it was, or they start feeling a little more humbled about how they were mouthing off about things without actually understanding. Yeah. Either way, there's ignorance here. Sure. So how was – until you took over as acting CEO, and even when you came in in that, that lateral move, were these things like Prasa, were they being run like fiefdoms yes. without any kind of respect being paid to statutory law, to the department that they fall under? Was there such a level of autonomy 
for someone like Lucky Montana that unless someone like you had come in, they probably would have carried on running things that way. Yeah, no, there was. I mean, we knew, for instance, and, and this is evidence that's in the public domain because because I also appeared at the state capture to give this type of evidence. I mean, there were certain politicians that we knew you couldn't, whose matters you couldn't touch. Uh, Roy Modley being one of those. And, um, you know, the toll trains, I mean, I was charged. I remember that. That was trains. such an embarrassment. Yeah. And you were dragged into that. Yeah, I was dragged into it. Um, and when let's it came, be clear, you did not place that no, order. I didn't. <laughs> when when yes. the transaction came to us, in fact, initially how this particular transaction was done was done outside of the internal group legal space. So they, they appointed consultants who did this work and then they wanted to increase the, 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 the value of the transaction from three to 3.5 billion to 5 billion. And then this is when they brought it to the legal department when we looked at this, we said, no, this is missing critical issues here. What what was that increase meant to be for? Well, some more trains and the, 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 we, didn't, we didn't take care of the foreign exchange, the currency fluctuations in the previous 10. Is okay. that what they said or is that well, the truth? That, that was effectively also the truth because um, it hadn't been taken care of. So, you know, issues of… It was like a complete dereliction of duty yeah. on their part. So, so, and then we ended up with the trains that didn't. Yeah, fit. we got the trains, but also what was interesting is that the trains that we got were not the trains that we contracted for. So, yeah. But anyway, I was charged. Skullduggery on all yeah. sides. So, so in the two months, it was quite hectic because there were a lot of matters that were happening. And um, from did a cap- Lucky call and check in with you, or I, I had to do it, and I think he did once because um, one of the charges, in fact, that that was laid against me was um, a fence and gate charge where, um, you know, there's monies that needed to be paid and, and so on and lights, the lights contract, it came in and I had to look at those things. And obviously when I looked at the first one, I said, no, this doesn't give me a lot of comfort. Go back, give me more information. Um, and, um, and he called me you know, wanting to know why there was a delay with this particular memo. And I said, no, I still need more information. But on, in the background, you know, I knew that uh, he wasn't happy with the delay because monies needed to be paid. And I was like, look, you to give him? Me. No, to, to this particular company. Yeah. So anyway, we, 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 we get the right memos, you know, I'm happy. And then I support this thing. It goes ahead. When Lucky comes back, but the other things that I picked up during, you know, his absence were things that he had promised the board of Popo Malefa at the time. And when they were now asking for delivery of those things, I went looking for those things that he had promised. For instance, in one of the tenders, which is about 4 billion rands, he said we had a property officer. And then there was no property officer. And the board was muffed. So just before you move on to when he came back, because now suddenly you find yourself in this incredible storm, yeah. this deep water. You know that you're going to catch some flack for this personally. Yeah, so you start course. at this point, you, as a, as a someone who's experienced in the law yeah. and has seen it from a private enterprise point of view and at Transnet, and you've seen how it can go right or wrong. Yeah. You start thinking, I better cover my backside here well, because this is it. otherwise you would be in jail right yeah. now. I well, mean, they, the they, cause they're always looking for a scapegoat. No, right? sure. And also, at this point, I just want to ask this question because for many people, it may be the most glaring one. You know, they always say, do not ascribe to malevolence 
what can be explained by incompetence. Sure. When you jumped into that job for two months, you sit at a desk and suddenly you have to access information that you haven't before. And you're given a wide purview because you have to make decisions. You're effectively making the CEO's decisions, mm-hmm. even though you're acting. There's no, there's no limit to what you have to do there. Yeah. For all intents and purposes, you've occupied the office. What kinds of things are going through your head and what are the, what are the most immediate? Cause you triage this now. You're like, where do I begin? Cause there's suddenly files piling up and they're getting more and more by the day. Yeah. How do you cope with that? And where do you start? But this is the thing, you know, and I, I think for me, because I also had a very good team of lawyers, right? Uh, the, my direct report, uh, who headed up the legal function, him and I worked very closely. So what I then did at the time, I said, listen, you better act in my state. As, cause I can't check myself when it comes to these things. Cause I've got to sign off. Yeah. You must check me. Um, and, and that's how we worked it. And, um, you know, when the board realized that this, that they had been promised was not the, that was flack from Timbuktu. And I took it because I was acting as you rightfully say. Um, and when they started a different process to see if, you know, we had complied with what we needed to do as far as the particular tender was concerned, they found that we didn't. And they're blaming you? No, they didn't. Um, because when, when, uh, Lucky came back into office, I handed over to him to say, look, this is the work that I have done. This is what I uncovered at the time that you were not there. So I did a report to him and handed over. One of the interesting things that, um, as I was sitting with him in there, he said to me, he said, yeah, I understand you, 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 from people that you want my job. And I said, no ways. This job for two months, I have had it. I actually don't even know how I survived the two months. And I said, not at all. I mean, I, whoever said that to you, really, I'm sure they just want you to like them at my expense, but be rest assured. I don't want your job. In fact, I don't want to die because you got politics, you got all sorts of nonsense happening and you are supposed to, to work and do things properly. I said, no, thank you. So, and, and I look at the time, Mr. Montana was very paranoid, you know, about things. He would listen to people lying. And, and so he operated on that. How, how, I mean, again, I, from the outsider's point of view, and you don't have to be a legal expert to deliver this opinion, but who wants these jobs? Uh-huh. They, it's, it's a, God forsaken, horrible place to work. There's scrutiny and there are lies and there are rumors and there's political interference. Yeah. And God alone knows who would want to occupy these, nah, these offices. They're trying to find someone who can hit up ESCOM now. I mean, uh-huh. that I wouldn't touch with a 10 foot pole with a health inspector on the end, yeah. even if I had the qualifications yeah. to do it. So, you know, and also at the time when Popo Malefe's board was there, there was a lot of tension between Lucky and Popo Malefe. Uh, because they then instituted this forensic investigation that was done by worksmiths. It was in the papers everywhere, mm. you know, uh, and the amount of money that we paid worksmiths and so on. So sure. being the head of legal, I was accused of having appointed worksmiths. And when worksmiths was appointed, I was, I had been fired initially by Lucky and then brought back and then to be suspended. So because I challenged him because mm. he'd fired the guy that reported to me just summarily. And I thought, this is not done. I mean, I'm the person that reports to you. If you've got issues, talk to me. This guy reports to me. This is governance, you know, simple governance. And he took issue with me. And the following day when I met him, five minutes in his office and he said, out. 
you, you're fired. So these are the kinds of dramatic stories we don't hear because mm-hmm. we see the reports and we see where money might have gone or who's been, who's the bad guy and good guy in the most simplistic terms yeah. possible. Yeah. We don't hear this stuff. I mean, the fact that you, he, you're sitting in his office and he looks you in the eye and he goes, out. No respect given, no uh, politeness about it. Immediately he can perceive that you are now a threat yeah. and a problem. Yeah. And you're not did he did he even attempt to bring you in? No. To no. some kind of arrangement. No. Nothing. Wow. Out. And and what had happened is because we in the legal department had touched a particular agreement um that involved Raymond Lee. Um, we, and I'm saying these to you because this mm. is all in the public domain sure. anyway. We've given evidence on these things. But uh, also the more people you tell, the more protected that's you will it. be. Yeah. And, and, and we knew, we were told we could not touch that particular transaction. So when finally looked at this thing, we spoke about it and we said, there's no compliance here. We can't get involved. And so he thought we were working against him and, and he was going to deal with those that are working against. That was his language. And so when he fired Fani, we knew that it was in relation to that because Fani is not working with him, is working against him. So when I challenge, and you can't challenge Lucky Montana, by the way. No, we, we saw when the cameras went to go and take a look at the house he was building for yeah. himself. Do you yeah, remember? You can't challenge him. He like threw bricks at them or something. Sure. And, <laughs> and he just uh, basically. Were you scared? No. You, you weren't afraid. I'm just talking like you're a woman. No. You walk into an office of a man who's no. kind of by all evidence that we've seen not terribly stable you weren't scared for yourself no, no i wasn't because i mean i think mm. if anything he knew that i would ask questions i think i was one of those executives who challenged him at exco i would be called aside by some of my colleagues to say you you shouldn't be challenging this guy he doesn't like you challenging him and i'd be like but then how else do we do this thing you know because um, the the approach was, you come in, you speak. He, he would come in and speak for two hours, and nobody would say anything, and then and then that's it. It's like know. a like a, a tyranny. Yeah, um, Martha. To contrast your story, the the reason I also want you to tell your story is because people need to know of the experience that so many in our government departments do have, mm. and there are competent and brilliant people. Oh yes, who work in the government and who've done a terrific job over yes. the last twenty seven years. Yeah. You know, people try again to say, well, everything's a disaster sure. and that's not true. But in order to understand this, how does someone like Lucky Montana end up being your superior? And how does someone like that end up doing such damage to the competent people? Yeah. Because this is what happens, yeah. right? People go, oh, well, the whole of Pross is a write-off. Yeah. The whole of Transnet's a write-off. These, these state departments that are run so badly, it must yes. be because everyone in there is diseased yeah. and corrupt. Yeah. So to... Uh, to make people understand the difference between the likes of you and the likes of him, how does he get into that position? Well, I mean, I suppose, you know, these are, are government uh, appointed mm. yeah, people. They, they so they don't rise them. up the ranks. Well, I suppose in his case, he worked for the Department of Transport at some point. So he had that background. Look, he's a clever guy. Let me I'm, tell you. I'm not saying he's stupid yeah. at all. He's, he's, he knows the business. He knows, he knew how to run the business, you know, and he, he, his eyes were everywhere as far as the business was concerned, you know, but he had this particular style, you know, where he, I'm the boss and nobody can question me. But when did your alarm bells start ringing? Um, 
at Intersight. Already. Already. Because I then understood that the reason I'm being moved is that I'm too much on the straight and narrow. And I thought, okay. And then I thought, okay, it's interesting that I moved from that position of CEO to group legal risk and compliance. This is now where I'm going to entrench my, you know, straight and narrowness as, mm. as it has been said. And I thought about it and I thought, I'm not sure what, what is going on, whether he understands or he just said it there and, and you have you to know, guess his agenda. Um, so I knew, you know, even at Intersight, I mean, there's certain experiences which I had and I'm not a politician. So I don't know these politicians. I mean, there's a particular instruction that, that transaction that I was running as, as the CEO of Intersight, where all of a sudden, um, we had this particular meeting and these were guys from, um, Roy Moodley's firm. Now, just who, who is Roy Moodley for it's people one of who the don't p- know? P- politicians. I mean, I think it was said that he was the guy that was giving, uh, uh, um, um, uh, the previous president, um, how Jacob can I Zuma. yeah, Jacob Zuma, about a million <laughs> rands a month. Business, no, it's not on your, yes, <laughs> yeah, I remember, and he, and he was it. very involved in, yes. in business in KZN yeah. and funded many ANC yeah. things. So he had tentacles that yes. went into everything. So, so when he, and you were given not so direct because nothing's ever direct, but fairly clear instructions not to interfere in his stuff. Well, you know, I wasn't even given that, but I got to see it. Because when I had this particular meeting, sure. um, I was quite concerned because I thought, okay, fine, this is a meeting. It's a formal meeting and people were standing up in the meeting and they were telling me, you're not running this thing properly and we'll make sure that you, you, you don't run this particular mandate anymore. And I'm thinking, who are these people? You know, and I frankly said to them, listen, I account to the Intersight board. I don't account to you guys. So really, I'm not even listening to you guys and you're not going to tell me how to do my job. I didn't know who these guys were, right? And a colleague of mine then came in and said, listen, you and I have got to have coffee outside of this building. So we went and we had coffee outside. He says, you've got no clue who those guys are. This is who they are. And and uh, effectively, they'll go back and tell Lucky um, what transpired. I said, well, I couldn't be bothered. Um, you know, Lucky must speak to me if if he feels that way. But, but, in a month or two, what they had threatened me with became a reality because then they came into the office and bulldozed the office and they took all the files. Do that, you mean they just they, they ransacked the Well, place. effectively, um, they sent the lawyer. Uh, there was a lawyer who was like his legal advisor at the time. Um, and External. Uh, Yes. His own personal legal advisor. Yeah, it was legal advisor who he had brought in into Prasa to advise him separate of the legal function, right? Yeah. So she came in and she was uh, very gung-ho, removing the files and so on. I mean, I'm the CEO of this entity and I I phone one of the directors, the independent director, and I say to him, guys, if you don't want me here, tell me. Why don't you just bring people here? And I don't know anything about it. And and this is what is happening. What is happening? Because the mandate comes from the board. It doesn't Were come. they looking for something in particular? No, they or were they just to, harassing they you? Were, they wanted to take the entire portfolio of advertising out of uh, Intersight to be run at group. Right? Okay. Uh, you make a lot of money in advertising. Sure. And the reason it was with us, it was because it was part of the mandate of Intersight to leverage 
on process property portfolio. Mm. And that's what we were doing. Um, so they, they, that's how they did. I mean, I spoke to, hey, lucky, I said, but boss, I report to you. And you didn't tell me that this was going to happen. So people can just come into the office and basically attack me, you knowing about it, and you wouldn't tell me. So I approached him. What did he say? He said he didn't know about it. Yeah. And then we were. Then who instructed his lawyer? And then we were brought into a meeting. I still thought, look, we're going to sort this out and he's going to, you know, tell these people where to get off. The colleague of mine then says to me, you don't know. This is going to be turned against us. And I was like, no, that will never happen because I spoke to the boss himself. You have got no clue how that meeting transpired. Uh, in fact, I was accused of fraud uh, in that meeting. And a colleague, somebody who reported to me, was actually sent packing. Um, I was told, suspend him and um, get somebody else in the position. It was bad. I mean, I I stood there and I thought, okay, fine. Are you insinuating that I have done some kind of fraud? In, because if you are, then suspend me and so that you can do your own investigations. No, but it didn't happen that way. Um, so that was the type of, you know, stuff. It's like, it's like, Mob style yeah. intimidation tactics. No, sure. Right. So, so, so when I was there, you know, uh, so that was the one experience. So that's why when he fired this, this guy who reports to me, I said to him, I said, listen, don't repeat what you did at Intersight. Don't do it. Leave these guys alone. If it is me you want, deal with me because I'm the person that reports to you. Uh, he didn't like that, obviously, and sent me packing as well. So we then wrote to the board of Popo Malefa and we said the reasons why we are now being dealt with in this manner is because we've highlighted these transic- transgressions in the organization. We are giving them to you. You will decide what you do with them. And at this point, there was already public yeah. outrage about yes. some of the deals, that, yeah. like the trades. I mean, the, 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 the AG had come in and said we were irregular expenditure, um, you know, 550 million, mm. you know, so, so these things were already out there. And so we went to the CCMA, yeah. you know, and we, 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 uh, then were called back because the board of Popo Malefa said, no, you don't deal with people like that. If they've done something wrong, let them account, charge them. So he was doing the yeah. right thing. He was charge doing them. what a, what a yeah. chairperson of a board should do. So charge them, but you don't just fire people summarily. So he was then compelled to bring us back. He brought us back. Uh, that must have been uncomfortable. Uh, it was very uncomfortable, but we, we, we knew this was just, you know. Procedure. Know. Yeah. Within four days, we were suspended. We were asked to give reasons why we should not be suspended. And being the lawyers that we were, we just put in a whole lot of Latin in there and, and all sorts of things. And we <laughs> said, you were functus officio, and he didn't like it. <laughs> and he sent us packing. So we escorted out of the, of the building again, now suspended. Uh, and so when the, the appointment, and then he started fighting with the board, you know, at the time, 2015, it was all in the public media and, mm. and, and stuff like that. And um, that so, was really the, the undoing of process at yeah. that point. It started so, falling apart. Yeah. So we come back, uh, but we come back because the then acting CEO, we understand, was then told, investigate these people. And then if they haven't done something wrong, you better charge them because we also don't want to be seen to be taking And how, how much time had elapsed then between that suspension and this? Which is about four months. 
And what are you doing during that time? Because you're not the kind of person who could sit on your hands, but you're not allowed to do work. No, we can't do anything. And you're being paid a salary, but you could also be going to jail if they win and and, and can prove that you did something wrong. So immediately I come back, um, you know, the CEO says, look, this is the work I've done. I can't see anything wrong with what you have done. Uh, so come back to work because anyway, you've been paid for this thing. And we, colleague of mine came back a couple of days after I had come back. And then, um, that's when, uh, Mr. Montana went to the Hillborough police station to have me arrested. Together with Popo and, and no, he's already off the board. He's off. I mean, he's out of the CEO yeah. role. So and he's he's what he's now in the glare of public yeah, outrage out as well. So, but but he decides to lash out at you yeah. and Popo Molefe and he and lays charges at Hillbrow Police Station. Yeah, <laughs> I freak out because I, I I wasn't even aware that this was happening. In fact, my brother calls me and says, "Listen, your name is on the radio. It's everywhere. What the hell have you done?" You can imagine I'm sitting in the office minding my own business. I don't have a radio and, and he just calls me to say something is, is a mess here. So I then call the, 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 the chairperson and I say, listen, I'm not going to the chukis for nonsense. No. It is Thursday. The idea is to have me arrested Friday, Keep spend the, the weekend. weekend there. I'm not doing this. Whatever happens, give me authority to appoint lawyers. He did. So I got lawyers and they, they managed to, move whatever wherever it was to put in the commercial crimes unit right and and i was given assurance that i won't be arrested but this is the type of experience that i have had you know as as the head of legal and i was investigated by the hawks and at least you have some understanding of law i mean this how many people have had this happen to them they don't know whose stories we will never hear who had to languish in jail, who might still be in some cases awaiting trials of things that will never end up in court. Martha, this is horrible. And as much as you're tough and I can tell that you're brave as hell, (laughs) this must have driven you to a point where you were absolutely distracted from everything you were. You must have been paranoid and nervous yourself. I was nervous. It comes to you out of nowhere. And even though you managed to avoid having to go to jail at that time, this is an intimidation tactic. This is is bullying and harassment. Yeah. Clean cut. I've experienced it throughout my tenure as, 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 as the head of legal at Prasa because they knew if it was not proper, it was not going to fly. And at one point they said, you know, the legal department of Prasa thinks that they're running Prasa. So, I started getting threats um, to say, you think you're running Plaza. And um, I raised that, you know, with... Just like what calls in the yeah, middle of the night. Yeah, calls to say, you think you're running Plaza, you better watch it, you know. So, so I, I had a sense of the type of transactions that we were dealing with and where we had said no. And in fact, internally, you know, this colleague of mine who I worked with would, would escort me home after work. And fortunately, we didn't live far from each other. So he would say, listen, I am driving behind you and I have to make sure that you are in your complex. So that's how we left, right? Um, and then, you know, it has a lot, I mean, that I can tell you. It's, 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 it's you know, it's just crazy. I've seen those offices. I've driven past those press offices yeah. in Hatfield. Yeah. I know exactly where they are. Yeah. And you had to drive out of there wondering if someone was going to yeah. jump out. So, so, you know, Gareth, it's, 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 
it that's the life that we lived. So I lived with my colleagues protecting me and, you know, um, us always watching out for each other. Fast forward. I mean, I don't think there's a single board at Prasa that did not either suspend me, put me on special leave, threaten me. Alice, I've seen it all. So, but at this point, Martha, you know, with all due deference to your attitude to this, most people would have just said, this is not worth it. I'd, I should have either stayed in the private sector and just dealt with whatever cultural issues I might have had to put up with there because it's still, it's going to be horrible anywhere mm. at this point, but this is less horrible. Yes. It's a question of, you know, less yeah. of two evils. Yeah. But imagine all the people who have kowtowed, bowed, perhaps not so that they themselves could benefit in any way, but just so that they didn't have to deal with death threats in the middle of the night, worrying about whether they'd get home, worrying about which people they could trust and which people they couldn't. And if someone was actually out there trying to get you. Yeah. Because the stakes are that high. They're very high. And I think for me it was, you know, the job became something that I really wanted to do. Because having understood, at, at some point I acted as the CEO of Prasa Rail. Now, when you act, when you're in that position, you're basically running the entire of Prasa. I mean, I, I just... I, I, it was horrifying to see how our people lived, you know, and the need for us to ensure that they do have the transport that is reliable and that is cheap and that they can, you know, use. And I think this is what drove me to say we can't all walk away because then those that don't have a voice will never be looked after, you know, and that's the reason why one stayed to say we can, we can fix this thing. We can make the systems work. This is also why I get so annoyed with people who complain about the state of the parastatals in this country. And they, they unfortunately brush everyone with the same brush. Yeah, so, sure. you know, you, you, whether you are trying to do the right thing and there are plenty, we need more, obviously good yeah. people who are prepared to go into the public service, but when they do, and they end up being treated like you do, you've yeah. got to ask yourself, why, why would anyone with good intentions even bother? Because yes, the need I think everyone in this country understands that so many people have in the past and unfortunately now would love to depend on passenger rail. Yes. And for a while, though the conditions were never great for black people in townships yeah. Yeah. and there were rural parts of the country that were not connected as yeah. well as anything else, there was at least something. Yes, there was at least something. And now there are so many people who have to rely on exorbitant taxi rates, buses, even more humiliating and ugly forms of transport. Yeah. You see people walking at four in the morning. You know where they're going. They're trying to get to work for money that will barely pay for just their transport yeah. fees. So what you talk and about. So you, you, you were, you were there yeah. and you were in a position now where you could, you thought. We could make a difference. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And then when we, then, you know, there was an issue about the, the, the security contracts. I need to say this because the reason why our infrastructure is as messed up as it is, is because of the termination of the security contract. We advised for the organization not to do it because there were no contingency plans at the time. We're proven right. Where, where were they sending that money instead? Because if they justified it as cost cutting, what well, did they do with it? Besides buy trains that were too big. We know that there are certain individuals who benefited directly mm. from tenders, whether it was around the back and it only came to light much later. Mm. As I understand it, no one's in jail yet. No, nobody's in jail. Any of this. No. Uh, I don't know. Where, where's Lucky Montana now? I don't know where he is. 
But no one is in jail as far as PAS is concerned. No, and no this one. is, this is the frustration I think that exists because the one other thing is that we've worked with the Hawks. You know, we've given them all the information. We said, there it is. You got it. But nothing has happened. So when you see Andre Dorato on TV two weeks ago and he's busy talking to Annika Larson and he's saying, I told the Hawks. And then you see people saying, lay your charges. Like this is it. And he has. But what are the Hawks doing? But this is, you know, I, I, I listen to Andre's story and I say, only if people knew. 2015, since 2015, we have been giving information to the Hawks and saying, there it is. We've so what are they doing? Nothing to date. So, you know, I, I just take it that people just don't have an appreciation actually of what is in all involved and they, they, they just looking at the hype. That's my view, really, because I've experienced it myself, you know. But that's all that ordinary citizens have to go on yeah. is the media reporting that's on this it, stuff. Yeah. They don't know what you know. Yeah. And, Thank God you're able to tell your story. Unfortunately for you, you have to do it through the courts at great personal expense. Look, and and, and for me, um, people ask me, how do you do it? I don't know how I do it, but I just do it, you know, because I believe there's certain values that I ascribe to. And I'm not a pushover. No, that's clear. (laughs) But Martha, where does this, where does it come from? I mean, you, you, you talk about values. A lot of people don't have a lot of good people don't necessarily have good values. Yeah. In other words, if something comes along and they can see a chance to improve their life, yeah, they'll take it. Sure. I so where, where do you, you know, how do you figure it out? Because this is a path that only you can walk. You know, every yeah. individual has to choose. Look, I did say that I don't come from, I don't come from a wealthy family. Uh, my folks sacrificed a lot to educate us. Right. Uh, my dad was quite tough as an individual, and um, he was very strict as well. What did he do? He was just a driver at Siemens. Right. You know, my mom was a nurse. And and I think growing up, I mean, there was a period when my folks were, were arrested, right? As activists? My my surname is actually Ngoi with an I. Ngoi. Right. I know Lily Ngoi yeah. and company, yeah. right. So my dad, when they, they picked up my mom and dad – it was the association with Lillian and Goyi because of the surname. It was crazy. And, and when my dad decided, look, I'm not a politician. I'm not, I'm not involved in these things, but because of the association, then this, I don't want to live this type of life where my, my, my wife will just be abducted and, and, and put in jail and, and stuff like that. So I grew up in that environment. And also, you know, when you in the, in, in the 70, 76 uprising, I mean, I was already at school, so I saw certain things and I saw how my family accommodated the students. My mother would make soup for the students that were running away from the, from the cops, you know. Um, and so we grew up like that. And, as, it, as and, a, it, and it imbued in you a sense of right and wrong, yeah. fairness and unfairness. Yeah. Do the right thing. But by know? observation, not yeah. because your parents sat you down no, around the table and told you. Yeah, you know, and um, – and and I guess, you know, also church, we had to go to church. My dad was an elder in church. We did church and I was a, right. uh, very involved in church as well, Catholic, all through and through. Um, so I grew up with that, you know, and I have an appreciation. I hate injustice. Mm. Um, and I've always known that I was going to be a lawyer, even at school. I said, this is where I'm going. And, and I loved it, you know. Do you think that that? sense of fair and unfair was also one yeah. of the reasons that you were pulled yes. into law. Yes. 
Yes. Because you saw the law as yeah. a mechanism, like so many of us who yeah. studied law. I, I did, but I never finished. <laughs> um, but so many of us who studied law, I remember because I asked people who were also in first year with me, I said, well, why are you doing this? And the answer was usually something around, you know, you don't, because law doesn't necessarily mean you make money. Yeah. No. There are lots of jobs in law, which yes. are not actually particularly good paying jobs. Sure. But I think everybody had some, it was a way of, Correcting and checking and yeah. balancing stuff that just seemed like it wasn't working. Properly. That's right. So, so, so with that background and and with the appreciation, I mean, as, as I say, I come from. I lived in a three room house. Our family home is a three room house. Do you understand? I mean, my mother used to wake us up at four in the morning to study because there was a shebeen that was playing music till two a.m. next door. You couldn't do anything about it. That was the township. That was the life. So, you know, with this, but the bottom line is that they sacrificed a lot for us to get a good ed- education and for us to grow up well. And I've always had this thing. And, and as I say, you know, having also seen the struggles of our people and, and wanting to make a difference, you know, and that's why I've stayed. And when I see the corruption that is there and I'm saying, no ways, this is our money. This is, you know, you and I are paying taxes. You know, we cannot allow this to happen, you know, and, and, and I was seen as a thorn within the organization. And that's why I'm saying to you at every given point, I mean, even when the SIU investigated me at some point, this particular investigator of the SIU came to me in a meeting and said, why is it that in your case, every single board that comes in here wants your neck? And I said, I don't know. You the investigator, you tell me. I said, because if I've done something wrong, I must account for it, you know. But other than that, I don't know. Um, you know, until obviously I was fired. I mean, in, in, in 2021, Jeff, hmm. I was fired in 2021 uh, on the basis that my contract was a five-year contract. I've been permanent at Prasa. Hmm. I've been there since 2011. Do you understand? For somebody to come in who doesn't know who I am, to say you have a five-year contract Get out. Your five years is up uh, and and you're not required here anymore. And then the following day, there were media articles about how I, you know, it, it, it attracts. I'm the group executive of legal risk and compliance at price. I'm supposed to operate at a particular level, ethics and comply. Because what it then does, because the, the reality is that even though I'm not a practicing attorney, I'm a non-practicing attorney, I'm still on the roll mm-hmm. of non-practicing attorneys. This could jeopardize my career if I'm accused of fraud. Absolutely. And then you cannot practice That's law it. at all. Yeah. So this was out the boom. But also, Leonard Ramat, like I, I mean, this whole situation, because your current fights mm. that, you're, that you're waging in the courts, and these things take a long time. That's yeah. another thing, people. They, they want immediate no. gratification, like Mm-mm. ordering from McDonald's. Yeah. But the courts, the wheels of justice turn very slowly. Yeah. And – we said earlier, no one's gone to jail, yeah. but someone will have to at some point. Somebody will have to right. at some point. And, yeah. and suddenly when all of this starts happening, people go, oh, 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 so there are competent things going on. Yeah. Are you concerned, though, that your case will not get the response that it requires? I mean, clearly the Hawks don't care. Um, okay. you've, you've now taken on your own legal representation. 
you know, they say only a fool has themselves for a client. Yeah. That's another thing they taught us in first year. So you that, knew to bring. I know. Yeah. So Jeffrey, where are we at the moment in terms of, of Martha's status, her case? How are we looking in terms of she's already won a number of very, very important victories here, yeah. which is why she's now able to talk about these things. And I'm just sorry that so few people in the media have taken an interest because really it hasn't, we, I have not heard this story. And if you weren't sitting in front of me, Martha, I wouldn't ever have. Right. Thank God you are. But where are we now? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a long story. Um, you know, I mean, even just, it took me close to eight months sitting with Martha. I actually spend more time with Martha than I do with my own family sometimes. <laughs> so, um, but where are we at now? So, you know, as you said, there was an arbitration. Martha mm. was charged with, I think it was five charges, yeah. uh, some of which directly referred to her evidence at the Zondo Commission. So the post-Zondo Commission. Post-Zondo Commission. So she was... So, Is that even admissible in an arbitration? <laughs> well, if you're called by the Deputy Chief Justice to testify in front of the commission, surely the, the, some arbitration panel doesn't have any... Hmm. Locus standi is what you guys mm. call it, right? Am I right? Yeah. Well, yeah. well, you know, I mean, we we prepared for those charges, and I mean, the, the the response to that quite simply was that you're charging her because she exposed corruption, and here it is. Here's the transcript. It's on your own charge sheet. <laughs> you know, embarrassing uh, for them. And then, uh, you know, there was a long fight about it, various postponements, again and again and again, and that's and that's, I mean, one of the patterns, unfortunately. I think for one of the reasons, among others, that entities like Price are in the state that they are, is legal fees. I mean, you know, for these lawyers, they can postpone and postpone and postpone. But then for an individual, eventually, they're going to say, the, the I can't. The state's footing their bill. They're not paying exactly, yours. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but, but anyway, it's just to catch you, the chest. I hope you're not charging like a wounded buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> otherwise, otherwise, we'll have conversations <laughs> after this. No, he's not. <laughs> Thank God. Definitely so you're not. also partly doing this out of a yeah. sense of civil responsibility, yes. civic responsibility. Yes, definitely. Um, and I mean, we all the advocates and counsel that we've got have all – everyone that's come in – We've all done it on that kind of extremely reduced. But you're also basis. confident that you have the upper hand here and that you're fighting the good no, fight. No, of course. So in the end, this will be the kind of bill that the people of South Africa would be happy to pay if they yes, if they I find think. against them and with costs in your yeah. favor. But I mean, just to just to quickly answer the question about where we are at in the legal uh, with the cases that we're at now. So mm. I I was actually thinking about it in my head while you were chatting. Just trying to think how many there are, and I think there are four between Martha and Prasa. So the Tell one, me. there's a summons against her in the High Court for the 54 million rand related to the fence and gate issue. It was also something that she was charged with at the arbitration, and she was cleared of that. Price has taken the arbitration award and review to the Labor Court. That's number two. And then there's, there's a the Labor, Labor court. Appeal Court yeah. case on Tuesday which deals with them having a fired Martha because she was supposedly on a five-year contract. And then I think there's also... And that, a, one's, that one's fairly easy to sort out because that's just, here's the contract. No, exactly. You know? I mean, and that's exactly what 
what you've been saying the whole time. But I mean, again, you know, I mean, for their, for Price's lawyers, it's not a, it's not a problem. And for, and for the people that instruct them, it's also not a problem. Um, and there's no urgency on their part. No, no. I mean, the only reason that, that Martha actually managed that we got to where we were was that after Martha was fired on this five year contract, she went to court on an urgent basis to say that if, if I'm on a five year contract, give me the contract, hmm. give it to me. Hmm. And then Prasa just couldn't reply to it <laughs> in the papers. I mean, to this day, they've never been able to reply to it and they raised various technical points about to say the case is not urgent. So what are, what are, what are your, what are your best and worst case scenario? Because you guys go into this with certain things you want to achieve. Right. What would you like besides turning this poor woman's life back into a life um, and granting her at least the absolution of these seemingly utterly mm. ridiculous claims that, right. that she isn't somehow in the wrong, even though she's the one who was making everyone aware of mm. what was actually going on there. Aside from that, yeah. what are you after? Well, I think a number of things. I mean, firstly, I mean, the the one thing about Martha's case and Prasa is that it's not middle class people who are affected by the destruction of the trains. Yeah. I mean, as you said earlier, it's, it's poor people. Them. They're not using them. Yeah. I mean, it's it's been going on for years. It's only We're when, not talking when about – this is not Rovos Rail. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, uh, and the blue train. So yeah. I think it's important for for people who do – who are in these entities that do want to genuinely be there and run a good organization where there's this culture of fear and you can't speak out and I want to speak out, but I'm too scared because there's this organization, this beast that has limitless pockets to show that um, you can win against these yeah, people. Sure. They're not invincible. And one small victory will empower other people. That's it. Exactly. But the thing that worries me, Martha, is that, being a whistleblower, there's no reward here, personally. Like, you're not going to suddenly, if you win all these cases, be given some lump sum and be allowed to retire in the French Riviera. No. I mean, you're going to, you're, you're going, you've, you've already paid a very heavy price for this. And you will continue to pay a price for this because there's no chance in hell that the government will ever hire you yeah. in any capacity again. Yeah. Right. So you've cut that out. That's never possible. I've got more of a chance yeah. as someone who sits and criticizes them every day than you do. Oh, definitely. Yeah. But also, the I, other thing is that the private sector are nervous yeah, they because are nervous. they do lots of business with government. Oh, yeah. So if someone hires you, what kind of career prospect yeah. does this create for you? Look, and this is the challenge that one has, you know, because I can't do anything. Um, when, when I was um, suspended, like now fighting these cases and I'd apply for a job, you know, I'd go through certain and levels, meet you and, go, and then and then they would say, uh, you know, the process issue is still outstanding. So unfortunately, and and I found myself, and then I decided I'm not doing this anymore because it's working on my psyche as well. You know, I just I was just too stressed and too sick, and and it was just not. Let right. alone that we don't have any witness protection programs yeah. in South Africa. We mm. don't have protections for whistleblowers. We've heard horrific stories yeah. in the past five to ten years of people who have done what Martha's done, who've just disappeared. Yeah. yeah. So like now when we won the case, I mean, and I was cleared of all the charges, right? Yeah. Let's be clear about that. Yeah. That's a big deal. Clear. Mm. I, it was a big deal. I mean, when Jeff phoned me that morning, oh. I was like, my God. Did you cry? I, just, I, 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 I didn't cry, but I was like, 
God, I think I've, I thank God so many times. I don't know what uh, I there, said there to were him. A few, there were a few hallelujahs. And that's <laughs> it. Yeah. <laughs> hallelujah. I mean, I just, I couldn't, you know, but also, um, and I thought, gosh, now I'm going to live my life, you know? And then I actually started talking to Pumi and I said, I, I need to work on my profile now going forward. Man, I'm here now. I mean, Jeff and I, I said, we, we went to the office the following day. You know, um, and, and Jeff came with me, um, to say, go report for duty because obviously if you stay away, the chances are they're going to say you're AWOL. And, and so you can't do that because you're not suspended anymore. You've been cleared of the charges. We go and then they at reception, we get told, no, they don't want you. They're still studying the review. Go home. So we leave. And and now this application they But you brought. must have taken such a deep breath when you walked in there because yes, you're walking into the most hostile environment. But it's like it's like in an army going into your enemy's camp and parading around there. Yeah. But what was interesting was the reception I received from the employees. They were like, Come back. Oh wow. We need you to come back. Thank God. I mean, the, because since you've gone, it's yeah. just become worse. There's now so, no oversight whatsoever. So, I mean, I had to say to guys, listen, you got to behave. You, you, You're putting yourself reception. in the firing line. Yeah, this is a reception that it's, don't make so much noise. But the noise that people were like, I, well, we don't wow. care that we associated with you. Yay. And the people were very happy that I had won and that I was coming back. Um, but yeah, now we settled with this little. Uh, 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 application they bring it. And for me, you know, Gareth, it's all about what the hell now? Because the legal fees that one has, I mean, with three years, one has been paying legal fees. And in fact, maybe it's important to say that Jeff comes in when our previous attorneys, uh, basically I can say dumped us. Because it was the issue of fees. We couldn't afford to pay, you know, the amounts they required and, the, you know, there were challenges. I'm glad you're like here. That. We can give you some credit. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, 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 so we stuck. Really, we were stuck because we, once you receive a, a, a notice of termination as an attorney of record, I mean, I know what that means. It's like we don't have legal representation. We're fighting this beast. Who is going to take our case? Thank God Jeff was available. And Jeff, as, as, and, and it's true. I mean, the amount of money, I mean, I owed over 1.1 million rands, you know, and I hadn't gotten anywhere yeah. with my case. And, and when Jeff came in, I mean, we've done the disciplinary hearing and they've really reduced their fees. Even council has reduced their fees in light of this particular matter being, you know, some kind of a public interest matter, you know, um, and, We've told our truth. They've seen it. And because we work with evidence as well, they've seen the evidence that we've given them because we've just not said things. Uh, but this is where we are. I mean, I, I'm sitting again. And one of the things that, that, that we talk to is that in one of the meetings that I once attended after having given an opinion with a colleague on the appointment of the administrator, you have got absolutely no clue. What transpired? A meeting was called six o'clock in the morning. Nobody must be must be uh, uh, giving uh, an excuse. In that meeting, the DG of Transport, you know, basically said those people uh, uh, who have become rogue is because I had given that opinion. I had basically challenged the 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 decision of the minister. It was unheard of. 
Um, Who was Minister of Transport at that point? This was Figile still. Figile Mbalo. Yeah. And his DG at the time came into that room and said, these people must actually be fired. And I must go and fight Prasa outside. And they'll never be able to sustain the might of Prasa financially. So basically we'll destroy you. Yeah. So this is what I'm going to Open through. threat. Yeah. Mm. And, and I said that in my court papers. I said, this is what the DG said, called us rogue and said, this is what must happen I to hope, us. I hope those people realize that one day they'll be at the receiving yeah. end of government money against them. Yeah. So this is what I'm going through now. Yeah. It, I mean, if there's any justice in this world, and I genuinely hope there is for you, but for all of us. Mm. Um, so, so where do you go? After this, let's say everything goes your way here. What would you really like to, to end up doing? Because I would hate to lose someone like you to another country, which yeah, you've probably considered. I've thought about it, yeah. Um, wh- where would you ideally like to go, Martha? And what would you like to do? I've thought about leaving the country. I really have. I mean, I've got a daughter who has gone through this crap as well with me. For her, because she yeah. doesn't deserve this. Yeah, either. she doesn't deserve it. Um, you know, and I love my country. This is my country and we have to get it right, you know. Um, we, we, at the end of the day, I uh, saw so two minds about it. Let me say this to you now, right? And I thought about it. Uh, if I were to, and I will be successful. Um, and I'm supposed to go to work. You rest assured I will go. You'll be there. Yeah. Because what I'm realizing is that I actually don't have a fear of going back and then taking my desk and working. I've done absolutely nothing wrong. And and I the people that are obviously doing this to me clearly have a concern. But they've also coming, they, they seem back. to be running out of ammo. Yeah. 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 You I don't think know, they, you, I think you can only make stuff up and lie about someone so much. I think the arbitration award was a big yeah. shock to them. To Prasa. Yeah. Um I don't think that they expected that they would lose it at all. And, and I don't think that they were expected that they would lose it so badly. And I think that that really rattled them. Yeah. Rattled them. Uh, it's, it's put things they were on the back pedal. So if you, if, you, if you reoccupy your desk and there are these people who've been actively working to torment you in their positions, that's just going to render the place even more useless because they will be stopping you at every turn. Well, they think they will. But this is the thing. This is a problem. That's why they don't want me there because they know they can't stop me. And, 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 and the employees know that they had, the legal department was quite strong, very strong. And our employees relied on the advice that we gave them. In fact, we became some kind of a, a psychologist. My office was kind of a psychologist sure. office because people would come there after hours and say, God, what do I do here? You yeah. know, so, so, so having that, Strength within the organization assisted a lot of employees because they felt comforted as well to say, we know once you guys have come in and have said X, you will really protect us and we, we are doing this thing right. So, so, so I'm, I, I can go back in there today and occupy my office and work. I don't think they can work with me in light of what has transpired. It's their issue. They must deal with it, right? We need to fix that organization. It is an important organization, as I said, for our people. Um, and it's got to work, you know. Uh, and, and the reality is if we all leave, you know, then what? You know, some of us have got to stay behind. Uh, I could have resigned. 
I could have resigned in oh, the midst yeah. of all this. I could have resigned, but it was very clear that that's not, that's not an option that I'm going to take. But also it was important for me to clear my name because they messed it up. You know, when this thing came out in the media the first time on that Saturday of the 30th of January, I phoned the, 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 one of the news ladies, uh, ENCA who had gone out on Twitter and I said, and I said to her, I said, do you know who you're speaking to? No, she doesn't know. I said, do you know how easy it was for me to get your numbers? I said, this is Martha Ngoy. This is the person you've just gone out on a statement that is riddled with lies. I'm a professional. You didn't bother to get my side of the story. You just went out. Yeah, and, and you know what? The media should actually be covered in the same opprobrium, opprobrium that we have for the, for the corrupt politicians because yeah. they are not doing anybody fair service here. They're not even prepared to read anything more than a paragraph before they draw up some clickbait headline. In many of these, I'm, not, ma- I'm not addressing no, no, this particular yeah, situation, sure. but in many of these stories. Yeah. Listen, um, I know that some of this has probably been laborious for you to have to go over again. Uh, I think that for those people who are listening to it, this is tremendously eye-opening because most of us will never hear the detail of one person's experience yeah. in all of this. Let me just say one thing uh, also. I mean, I, poor Jeff, I I am now asked to go to give evidence. Obviously, I can't speak about it. I'm still on the stand hmm. uh, in a Judicial Services Commission matter of a judge who is about to be impeached. Uh, and I'm required to go and give evidence in that matter as well. So do you understand? I'm here, I'm there, and I'm still doing it. Uh, but I am going to do it because um, it has to be done. How do you? Can't, we can't, we can't, you know, tolerate things like this to happen. So I haven't had any rest effectively, but it must be done, mm. you know. And um, this is where we are. And we just filed, in fact, my answering affidavit today in relation to the stay application, and we'll see where it goes. But the bottom line is that I think at the end of the day, people who are abusing state resources have got to pay the money back. Well, we we almost need worse punishments than just that. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Because it's such a, a betrayal of the public yeah, trust. Yeah. yeah, because we we struggling really to raise funds to pay our lawyers. I mean, as Jeffrey mm-hmm. says, he spends a lot of time with me than with his family because, you know, when anything comes up, Jeff is Jeff. And he's been there, you know, um, and has, has really fought this fight with us. Um, so, yeah. Thank you so much for coming to tell your story here. I hope that it goes far and wide and that many, many South Africans get to hear it. Sure. Um, again, thank you for your bravery. I'm sure that there is much more to be revealed and you say let the chips fall where they may. Sure. And let's see what the evidence is yes. that these people have against you, supposedly. <laughs> and let's see what you have to defend yourself with. Yeah. But um, I'm very pleased that you are out there doing this and fighting this fight. I'm sure, sure it's soul-destroying sometimes. It is, yeah. Just know that there are a couple <laughs> of us, just like there are only a few whistleblowers, there are a couple of us who really are backing you. And, Jeff, thank you for your your, your steadfast support of yeah. Martha because she, she couldn't do it without you. No, I couldn't. And we couldn't do this without you. So Thank you. Yeah. Keep keep fighting the good fight, guys. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so much, and thanks for this opportunity. Cliffcentral.com.